Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, good morning, everyone. Guys, that was awesome. What a way to start the new year. Yeah, amen to that. So, happy new year to you. I'm excited about the new year. I'm excited looking forward into 2018, and that doesn't come from watching the news. Um, As I watch the news, I see lots of things on our horizon that are not exciting at all. They're they're concerning and they're probably disturbing as well and so on. But why I'm optimistic is, is more than I watch the news, I get to watch you guys. And I see that God is at work here at First Baptist through you and he's doing significant things. And I'm excited about where he's going to take us in 2018 and what he's going to do in and through us. And so I'm looking forward to a great year. I hope you are as well. Like Gordon mentioned, we're going to start a series this morning in Colossians. Every year we try and do this, at least in the spring, sometimes in the spring and the fall, if we can manage it. And we try and take a book and we just go and look at the book uh, specifically itself. And we're going to do that right away, starting off this year in Colossians. And so if you're um, uh, familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that there are 21 New Testament letters of which this is one of them. And this is one that Paul wrote among 13 other, 13 in total that Paul wrote. And so um, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians from Paul. It is generally agreed that it was written somewhere around 60, 61 AD, somewhere in that neighborhood, 62 maybe. And um, if you'll remember back to when we took First Peter, you'll remember that Peter was writing First Peter at about the exact same time that Paul is now writing to the Colossians. And at that time, we're finding, we find that the Roman Empire is just about at its peak. It is just about at its apex. But strangely enough, the leadership is starting to wobble. Nero has come to power, and he is generally more interested in the arts than he was in, in governing the empire. And so things are starting to shake and starting to wobble as far as the leadership goes. But the machine is driving on on its own. The machine continues to grind along. And so the empire is still moving forward. And so at this point, the Roman Empire comprised about 20% of the world's population. And estimates are that that encompassed about 50 to 60 million people. So obviously it has a significant impact on the lives of a large number of people. And while the empire is grinding on, and as Nero is beginning to wobble, Christianity is taking hold. It's starting to grow. The gospel is spreading. And that's compounding some of the problems for the empire, for Nero. As the the Christians started to spread out and expand, and as more were adopting the faith and subscribing to Jesus and who he was and what he had done, then that starts to to shake the fabric of the empire a little bit, politically for sure, 
as Christianity calls for a different kind of leadership. And, and sociologically as well, as, as Christianity is calling for a different kind of a society, as it's flying upstream against the current to the way that the things are happening already in the empire and in the, in the world at large. Christianity is calling for a different paradigm. And obviously, for sure, it's shaking up things religiously as it starts to threaten the status quo and the power that existed in other religious areas and with those that were in power in those religions. And so we're seeing that things are starting to, to get a little bit scary. And as a result of that, then this leads towards the first imperially sanctioned persecution of Christians in about 64 AD as they start to try and clamp down on this religion that's starting to grow up and spring up all over the place. And as they try and stem it, put it back in its box and, and snuff it out. But instead, it continues to grow. So un, maybe not surprisingly, Colossians is considered one of Paul's four prison letters that he wrote while he was in prison in Rome. Maybe on account of the fact that this was, again, a way to persecute those Christians. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts in the later chapters, you'll understand why exactly Paul found himself in prison in Rome. So I would encourage you to do that and just see how things were starting to move and, and what was happening at the time to, to start and try and curb that. At the same time, um, just if you're interested, you might want to also read some of his other prison letters, which are Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon. So those are the four prison letters. So going forward, we're going to just take a quick look at this map so that you can understand a little bit more and keep this in mind over the course of the series. So here's Colossae over here, um, and that is the, where he's writing to, the, the Christians in Colossae, the Colossians. You'll recall that this is also modern Turkey, um, and that is also where Peter was directing his letter to, when he was writing 1 Peter. The, the Christians in that general area, Paul is a little bit more specific. And you'll see up here in the corner, there's Rome, and that's where Paul was imprisoned as he's writing. And so at that time, Paul is trying to speak into the lives of the Colossians from a considerable distance away. And the way that you did it at that time was by letter. That was the way that you accomplished communication, especially when distance was involved, which at that time, of course, was just about everywhere. And so he's writing and sending letters and speaking into the lives of the Christians over in Colossae. Now, there are 19 of the 21 New Testament letters that were written by apostles that traveled extensively. And so as they traveled about the region, the different countries, and as they encountered churches and Christians, then they would speak into the lives of those churches. And they would, in effect, try and pastor those churches over distance, by letter. Um, and as a matter of fact, they... they um, would try and, and um, pastor the churches themselves from, from a distance. And so as a result of that then, letters were significantly important. And, that, you know, we, we continued on with the letter writing thing for years and years, not just back then, but for years and years after. Probably 
right up until about the time that Fran and I finished dating. Because it, at that point, we still didn't have things like texting and, and so on, no email. Um, and, 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 you know, we couldn't phone because long distance charges were astronomical. So we wrote each other by letters. And, and it was awesome. It was an extremely effective way to get to know one another because we would, she was, we were in different cities. We dated for a number of years and never lived in the same city. So what we would do is we would write and we would write down the things that were important to us and we would explain what we thought about stuff, what we believed and why we believed it. We would sort of, in a sense, we would be presenting these cases for who I am and what I believe and what's important to me in letter form. And it was awesome because I got to know her by what she wrote. And she had to think about what she was saying because she was writing it out. And then so in the same way, then these letters are coming along from Paul to the Colossians and he is speaking into their lives and it's an extremely effective means of communicating. I'd encourage you, some of you to try it if you're dating right now. Take a break. Go for three months without ever even seeing them. Just write letters. You'll learn a lot. Trust me, you will. Anyway, that's an aside. Now, in that Paul is writing to a specific audience, it behooves us this morning to bear that in mind. So he's writing to the Colossians specifically. And he's writing them to them about a specific topic or subject. There's an impetus for which he is writing them. And so we want to understand that. And we need to keep that in mind because that will have a little bit of bearing on what we're reading. But we need to understand this morning that the way in which Paul goes about writing and the topic, topics in which that he's covering still speak into our lives today. They are not histo- history and therefore things to be dismissed. It's not just interest that we read them with. We read them for instruction because he is still writing and and reading into our lives today through his letters and through the, the topics and the subjects that he's discussing here. At that time, specifically with the Colossians, there was concern that something was undermining their faith, that something was coming along and it was undermining their trust in Jesus Christ, in who he was and what he had done. And they were beginning to question their salvation. And that was the concern that was driving Paul to write. And so Paul is writing to encourage them, to bolster them in their faith in Jesus Christ as God. That he isn't just a guy, but that he was God himself incarnate, come to earth to live among us. And he is writing to encourage them that their salvation is secure in Jesus alone, that they not need look anywhere else for their salvation, that they not try and augment it in other, in other ways with other things, but that in Christ alone their salvation is secure and that they can rest in that. Which brings us then to the book itself. So this morning, would you do me the honor and the favor of standing with me as we read God's Word together? We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 14 verses together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light." For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we know by your word that it will not return to you void. And so I pray that that would be the case here today. That as we open your word and as we read it and as we understand it, as you interpret it for us by your spirit, that we would grow. That we would understand you better, that we would know you more and that we would seek to live lives that are pleasing and worthy of you as a result. And so in your son's name, to that end I pray, amen. Please be seated. Okay, we're going to have to race quickly here. So let's start in verses 1 and 2. Paul begins with a greeting to his readers, which is pretty standard in any letter. Dear so-and-so. And so Paul begins. But note a couple of things in those first two verses. First of all, we need to recognize, we need to know today that Paul had not visited the church in Colossae personally. So he had never met these people himself. Therefore, he is writing to them as a stranger of sorts. And as a result of that, he begins by establishing his credentials for them. He points out that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, that an apostle is is a very stringent group. There's a very strict limit, limited um, uh, circumstances or, or uh, points that would make you an apostle. Not everybody could be an apostle. Very few could be an apostle. And so we, we find that out. We find out a couple of them, for example, are that, that they would have personal experience with Jesus Christ resurrected. 
that after he was resurrected, that they would have had a personal encounter with him. We also understand that for an apostle, the qualifications of an apostle, that they would be called by Christ himself, by God, to be an apostle. So he's in a very select crowd, and he points that out to the Colossians so that they know under what authority that he is writing to them today. And we can read about that as well in Acts. If we go to Acts, we will find the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, where he has a personal encounter with the risen Christ. And in verse 15 of Acts chapter 9, it says this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man... Paul, meaning Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their king and to the people of Israel. So we see here that Paul has been called specifically by Christ himself, that he has encountered him and is an eyewitness to the risen Christ, and that he has also been called by God, and therefore he qualifies as an apostle. And so he's now writing to the the Colossians under that authority. They would recognize the authority that came with that. This morning, we need to understand the authority that Paul is continuing to speak into our lives as still an apostle of God, separated not any longer by geographic terms, but by time. We're separated by time, but he is still an apostle of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he writes to us, and we have to understand the authority of Scripture in our lives. That Scripture speaks into our lives and that we are to bring our lives in line with Scripture. That we do not align Scripture with our lives as it suits us. And so we can learn here the same way that the Colossians are learning. By virtue of the authority of Paul in writing to us. He writes to us. Scripture comes to us with the same authority today. Now, as you look at your Bibles Verses 3 to 14 will often be under a section or a heading that is, is uh, termed the thanksgiving in prayer. You might see that in your Bible or words to that effect, and it's true. This is, goes into the thanksgiving and prayer that Paul has for the Colossians. But we need to understand, too, that this morning in those thanksgiving and in that thanksgiving and prayer is much instruction, much that we can understand as we hear Paul talking about why he's thankful and as he prays for them and what he's praying for, the Colossians. So let's look at verses 3 to 8, starting in verse 3. Paul wastes no time in establishing the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God. Now remember that the concern prompting Paul to write at that time was that there were things going on that were undermining who Jesus Christ was. They were undermining the significance of the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul addresses that right off the hop by addressing the fact, by pointing out to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is divine, that He is God Himself. And we need to understand that today. Just like in that time, just like the church in Colossae, there are things that are going on in the world around us today that would seek to undermine who Jesus Christ is. They will point to him as a good teacher. They will point to him as maybe a prophet. They will point to him as a religious heretic. They will point to a lot of things, but they never point to Jesus Christ as God because that's a game changer. 
Jesus Christ is God. And when he, we understand him to be God, then things change. We adopt a different perspective, understanding that he is God. And so Paul is writing to them saying, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and establishing his divinity. Now, he expands on that point. Paul says that this faith and love that he has heard about in the Colossians stem from the hope that we have of heaven that comes as the message of the gospel, the true message of the gospel, which is to say that when we find the true message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and lived among us, God himself came and dwelt on earth among us, lived a perfect life, then died in our place in order to pay the penalty for our sin, rose again from the dead, conquering death, and now then offers to us the opportunity of an, a relationship, a restored relationship with God the Father, now and for eternity, then that gospel, that true gospel, not the ones that they've been hearing about, not this other stuff that's going on, but that true gospel then results in faith and love in our lives. That we then have that assurance, that confidence in who Jesus is and what he has done. That we can stand on that despite what's going on around us in the world, despite what the world is trying to sell us of a different story and different tune. But we can stand on that with firmness and faith and then love the world around us as well. That because of who Christ is and because of what he has done and because of what he then asks us and our, our, and our, our confidence in that, then that we would reach out and love the world around us, love one another and those others that God brings us into contact with in our lives. That's what happens because of the hope that we have of heaven with God through Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this morning? Is your hope resulting in a growing, solidifying faith in your life and love for the world around you? Is your faith getting stronger as day by day you wake up and understand that despite what the world's happening, whatever's going on in my life, that I have the hope of heaven and eternity together with God? Does that change your world? Does that change your perspective day by day so that you are growing in your faith and loving people? Paul says that that's what this faith should be doing. That's what it's calling us to. That's what it's moving us to. The true gospel moves us to faith and love by virtue of the hope that we have. Moreover, he goes on to point out that this true gospel, this same message is, is spreading to the world around. Like I was talking about earlier, Christianity is growing in the world around. People are adopting it. People are subscribing to who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And they're enlisting as Christians. Now, that's not doctrine. That's just good strategy. Paul's pointing out to the Colossians that, hey kids, you're not alone. You haven't been duped. You haven't been deceived. You're not messed up. 
There are others out there all around the world that are subscribing as well, just as you did. So don't give up. Don't, don't get distracted. Stay firm. You know, Fran and I, when, when we started to have trolls, we, we decided, we made a, a very definitive plan that we were going to always, in whatever way we could, encourage our kids to be at church regularly, to be involved in Kids Quest and in youth whenever possible, all the time. That, that, that they, these things would take a priority in our lives so that they could come and rub shoulders with you. So that as they grew and as we tried to speak into their lives about who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, what they need to do in response, that they would also find that there are others out there that subscribe to the same thing. That mom and dad aren't the only nuts in that tree. And so we would bring them. We would commit to having them here so that they could see that there are others out there that agree that have made that same decision and that that would lend credibility to that decision for them. We still try and compare them in that direction, although those days are pretty much over. So Paul is coming along and he's saying, hey guys, don't miss out on the fact that this, what we're calling you to, this, this true gospel is legitimate. It's the real deal. And there are others that are subscribing as well. If you're, if you're a youth leader, if you're a Kids Quest leader, if you happen to have just interacted with our kids, we appreciate you. Don't let anyone ever tell you that your job is insignificant. It's huge. Fran and I appreciate it more than we could express because it has helped our kids subscribe to God, to place their faith in Jesus Christ. For eternity. So thank you. Carry on. All right. Oh, verses 9 to 14. Okay, we're going to have to fly. Uh, okay, verses 9 to 14. Okay, this is, this is a little convoluted, and you have to get used to Paul's writing. Because he, he writes without using periods. Lots of commas, dashes, colons, things like that. But I love it because it makes me think as I'm reading. I have to pay attention to the text. So don't give up. Don't go, oh, this is just, this is all gibberish to me. Don't, don't give up. Lean in. Try and follow where he's going because it's worth it. So I'm going to try and do, I'm going to try and distill these verses down into four things. God's part and our part. Four things in each, in each category. In reading these verses, we find four things on God's part. Number one, he will forgive us. God will forgive us and will rescue us from the dominion of darkness. That's God's part. Now, we need to understand this morning that until we come to God, until we come to that point where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are living in the dominion of darkness and we need our sins to be forgiven. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't come to that place yet. Maybe you're here this morning and you're dismissing it. 
Can I ask why? Are you dismissing it notionally? It's just at the face of it, it seems crazy, it seems ludicrous, and so you've dismissed it? Have you ever gone in and done an investigation of Christianity and what it's all about in order to try and decide on the merits rather than just your feeling or your thoughts? I'd encourage you, dive in because the gospel is, or the, Paul is telling us, Colossians is telling us this morning that we need forgiveness for sins and, and we need to be moved out of the dominion of darkness. Secondly, as we look at this point too, we need to understand, we need to know that despite whatever it is that we have done, however heinous and horrendous our sin may be, if we ask, God will forgive us. There is no sin too great, no act too horrendous that God cannot forgive if we ask Him. And so for God's part, He is saying today that if you confess your sins, that then He will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins. So come to Him. Don't let it stand, hold you back. Whatever your sin might be, bring it to God and he will forgive this. Number two, he will fill us with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding of the Holy Spirit. Which is to say that we're not smart enough to figure this out. God's ways are not our ways. And therefore, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us to wisdom and understanding of God's will. In all our ways, we need to acknowledge God, and then He will direct our paths. Number three, God will strengthen us with all power by His might. Which is to say that not only are we not smart enough, but we're also not strong enough to do this on our own. That as we go out into the world and as we try and live out our faith, that we are going to stumble and fall without God's help. And so that we need to, again, go to Him and have Him strengthen us by His might, not ours. And God says, I will do that. I will give you the power that you need by my might because He is sufficient. Unlike the other things out there that tell us that we need to do this in order to make it through. We need to do that in order to succeed. Paul tells the Colossians, Paul tells us this morning, we need God's help, his power to get through life. Number four, for God's part, he will qualify us to share in his inheritance. Note that we do not qualify ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. There is nothing that we can say that will qualify us for eternity in heaven with God. That only comes through Jesus Christ. And when we turn our lives to Christ, when we place our faith in Him, then God, by His power, and Him alone, qualifies us for heaven, for eternity together with Him. He's sufficient. We rest on Him, not ourselves. For our part, quickly, Paul points us to four responses to these things that God will do on His part. 
Because of what God has done, we are to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God by, number one, responding to God joyfully out of thankfulness for having brought us into his family through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That as we recognize our need of God, our sinful nature, our lostness without him, that then, out of thankfulness and gratitude to God, that we would be joyful people. That we would live joyful lives. That we wouldn't be Debbie Downers and Gloomy Gusses going through life, but instead, that we would keep that perspective in mind and every day, every day, every day as we get up, that we would remember the hope that we have of heaven and that that would lead us to be pleasant people, full of joy, standing out from the world around us because of our thankfulness. Number two, for our part, we are to grow in the knowledge of God. If you haven't already, I would encourage you, stop by the Information Center. Get the GRIP reading plan for this next year. Last year's is just about running out. The new one is here and ready to go. And together again, we want to be reading through God's Word as a church. That we would be seeking out the knowledge of God in our lives. That we would be growing to know Him more. And that as we do, that then, then he would be able to speak into our lives and change us into the people that he wants us to be. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but we would be well off if we were to adopt these four things. Number three, bearing fruit. We need to be bearing fruit. Now, often, all, regularly, we understand, we talk about the fact that through the Spirit, we see fruit, that we don't bear fruit on our own. And that's true. But we need to be looking at our lives and seeing if we are bearing fruit. And if we're not, then we need to go to God and ask him, why is it that I am not seeing fruit in my life? Why is it that I am not having an impact or helping others to see things differently, to, to understand God better? To come to him. Why is it that, they, that their world is not better because of me being here? And have God direct us to that and address it and deal with it so that we can bear fruit. And the last thing, in order for us to be living lives that are pleasing and worthy of God, we need to be exercising endurance and patience. As we come to God, that does not solve all our problems. That does not make our path smooth. There are going to be days when we have to get up, and sometimes days upon days upon days, when we get up each day and have to sled through junk and difficulty in our lives. And at that point, as that's happening, maybe even as it's happening now, then we need to stand on our faith 
and get up and say, because of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done and what I have to look forward to when this life is over, when I'm through with this junk, then I will endure. I am going to stay steadfast. I am not going to waver. I am not going to be distracted. I am not going to get bogged down. But I am going to continue on and endure with patience for the sake of Jesus Christ and the true gospel that I know in my life. This morning, as we come to the communion table, and as we remember Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, can I ask you, have you come to the point where you've submitted to God and allowed him to forgive your sins and to take you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light? If you haven't, I would encourage you today, make that decision. This morning, are you asking God for his wisdom in your life? Are you asking him to fill you with his knowledge by the Spirit? Are you asking him to provide you with the power that you need to live successfully day by day by day in the life that he has called us to? And are you thanking him and keeping in mind regularly that he has qualified you by his grace to a life forever with him when we commit our lives to Jesus. This morning, can I also ask you, are you responding to God joyfully in your life? Are you different than the world around you? And by your presence and by your attitude, by your demeanor, do you point to God? Are you taking steps to grow in the knowledge of God? Are you spending time with Him in prayer? Are you reading your word? Are you involved in church? Are you in a small group? Are you coming out to youth? Are you participating in Kids Quest? Are you bearing fruit? Can you see God working in your life and influencing those around you as he does? And are you exercising endurance and patience today? Not wavering in your faith. Solid and committed. Despite what you're running into around you. For the sake of the true gospel. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward as they do, I would encourage you to contemplate on those things. Talk to God about that. Ask for his help. Commit yourself anew as we go into this year to living for him a life that is pleasing and worthy of him. Father, this morning, we stop and we remember the gift of your son given to us as a substitute 
in order that he would come, that he would pay the penalty of our sin, that he would die in our place, that he would shed his blood so that through him that we could have forgiveness of sins and the opportunity of a life together with, with you. We recognize the sacrifice that he made in giving of his body and his blood on our behalf. Lord, this morning I pray that as we remember that, as we contemplate the hope that we have in you through that, that you would enable us by your spirit to become the people that you would like us to be, that we would live lives that are worthy and pleasing to you. And that, we'd be, that we would be a testimony of you to the world around us. For his sake, on account of what he has done, and for what he can do in their lives. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. I'm looking forward to next week, but till then, have a really good week. Happy New Year.